1: With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Topping the noon business hour today, the government jobs report is out for October. It's a pleasant surprise. Let's break it down with the help of Diane Swank, chief economist, Grant Thornton, based in Chicago. Diane, thanks for joining us once again. Uh, It's interesting to see that uh, in higher paying jobs, uh, the labor recovery is essentially complete. But in the kind of lower wage sectors of the economy, economy. There's about five million jobs to go until you get back to where we were at the start of 2020. Is that possible or are there some jobs simply gone for good?
0: That's a great question. It's one thing we're watching very closely right now. So even as employers are having a hard time matching workers, many people are in urban areas where the jobs aren't, and the jobs are in suburban and vacation resort areas, and it's harder for workers with these high prices at the pump to get to those areas. But there is also this issue of how many jobs actually come back. We hope with the good news we're hearing on treatments um, for COVID along with vaccinations available for children 5 to 11 years old that will get to a place that we can more fully open the economy and regain many of those jobs, but we're also automating. Many of the jobs that we're seeing are being concentrated in the tech-savvy retail behemoths like Amazon and Walmart, and those employers are also able to not only offset the crimp on their margins of higher wages, they've got the technology to do productivity gains, but also automate. And I think that's something that we have to keep in mind here, is that many of the jobs that were once there will be automated away. We've got a lot of no-touch kind of transactions now that are eliminating some of the places where jobs once were. And that change in the labor market at the same time that we lost educational attainment as education moved online is more friction in our ability to match workers with the skills they need for the jobs we demand.
2: And how is the child care component impacting the jobs numbers? Uh, There's been a great deal of discussion this year that a lot of people, uh, uh, mothers especially, they want to go back to work, but they can't because no one's around to take care of the kids.
0: Exactly, and not affordably. What we've seen is employment in the child care sector has continued to decline. So even though this was a great jobs report with upward revisions to the um, history and the private sector picking up the baton, we saw that um, in education sector we continue to lose jobs. Schools are trying to compete um, with these higher-paid jobs elsewhere in a tsunami of retirements, and they're not able to staff up in many of the extracurricular programs that also provided child care for lower-income households. This is really critical. We just don't have the way to get people back to work in the jobs they need so desperately to support their families and feed their children, and that something is a real hurdle. We also saw many mothers, although the female participation rate picked up a bit in the month of October, it had fallen in September, even as schools reopened, because many schools that reopened then closed again, and so this inconsistency of having to rely on schools for childcare and the kind of schedules that they have to sort of meet it doesn't always fall into a school day on these jobs this is all really important and a major hurdle to getting all hands on deck we are short of workers we need everyone out there possible who can work and many people want to work but they also have to take care of their kids
2: Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Diane Swank, Chief Economist, Grant Thornton, based in Chicago. The Chicago Bar Replay Lincoln Park, set to open up its latest pop-up edition today, inspired by the runaway Netflix hit Squid Game, the worldwide streaming sensation. Let's learn more from Mark Kwiatkowski, owner of Replay Lincoln Park, based in Chicago. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Uh, The first question before I alter my weekend plans, Mark, is uh, will I uh, emerge from this experience alive? Uh, chances are pretty good that you will survive. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, what was, you know, how long did it take for uh, for you guys to uh, set up a bar uh, experience uh, around Squid Game to not only just redecorate it, but also uh, uh, create drinks and create games uh, that adhered to this series?
3: Well, this one we did pretty quickly. Uh, we, we weren't planning on doing it, honestly, but the, the squid game phenomenon was just so enticing to us. So we started planning it about two weeks ago and uh, started building Sunday night after Halloween, and uh, we're launching tonight at 8 p.m.
2: Squid Game, for those of you who uh, have not yet uh, watched this on Netflix, is about uh, people in South Korea. They're down on their luck. They're deep in debt. Uh, They're invited to uh, play these uh, childhood games with deadly consequences, and the lone survivor uh, emerges from the games uh, with this uh, massive uh, multi-million dollar jackpot. It's uh, multi-billion won in South Korea, but it's about forty or forty-five million dollars, uh, American. So it's a nice chunk of change if you do win Squid Game. Uh, what are some, without uh, uh, giving away some some plot points in the show, because some of the uh, the names of the of the drinks uh, do contain some spoilers. But if you gotten as far as episode one, what are some of the things that you will see inside the Squid Game experience?
3: Well, so episode one obviously features the uh, red light green light game. So we have that creepy. Doll that uh, calls out the commands, uh, represented beautifully in our pop-up, and uh, and without the uh, deadly consequences, obviously.
2: Well, I mean, you you do get shot, but you have to ask for it, right? <laughs>
3: yeah, we do have a red light and a green light shot. That's funny, and we are offering uh, some some prizes. So we are doing a marble guessing contest. So we've got a large pig filled with marbles. And guests are invited to guess how many marbles are in there. And the winner um, will win 583,855 won. Or approximately five hundred dollars in
2: cash, and uh, you will also um, include uh, the other cultural uh, Korean cultural phenomenon, K-pop music, uh, which is taking over the world thanks to BTS. That's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be on the sound system when you are uh, inside the Squid Game experience. Now, if this proves to be a hit, are you going to uh, 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 freshen up the presentation as it goes on? Like you know, some guy can slap you for eighty-five dollars, or or is this, is that still on the drawing board?
3: Well, we are going to be adding a bunch of events, including, you know, competition. So we uh, are going to do a marbles game, a dog cookie cutting competition, maybe tug of war, and we'll see what else we can uh, uh, accommodate, but uh, yeah, we we, we constantly come up with ideas and inspiration and add to the uh, pop-up, so when people come back, they get something new and exciting.
2: Well, Mark, we're out of time, so with great regret, I must say, you have been eliminated. Mark Kwiatkowski, (laughs) the owner of Replay in Lincoln Park, based in Chicago, they have the Squid Game experience. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour can Continues. Hey, it's Entrepreneur Friday, and in this segment, we're talking toys and how retailers are dealing with supply chain issues this holiday season. We welcome in Scott Friedland, head shopkeeper at Timeless Toys at 4749 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago's Lincoln Square neighborhood. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Most people start their Christmas shopping uh, maybe October, definitely in November. Uh, and if you were like me at the age of 21, you do it December 24th. When does when does the toy industry uh begin their holiday shopping?
4: Oh, So on a general year, I start my holiday shopping in probably June or, or uh, majority in July. Um, this year, I started my holiday shopping at the beginning of May.
2: Now, is this simply a function that the industry knew that the supply chain issues uh, were already apparent and that you had to get a jump on things, otherwise uh, you would be left out in the cold, uh, literally and figuratively?
4: <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean we got a few warnings from manufacturers at the beginning of the year saying that uh, the the issues were, were coming and they weren't going to get any worse or they weren't going to get any better than they were already were and uh, they were going on a first-come, first-served basis. So get your holiday orders in early, and that product will get to you.
2: This is something I've noticed in my conversations with uh, other parents of young children uh, as we start to do our, our holiday shopping uh, for everybody in our family. And that is, if you if you poke around online, uh, some of these in-demand presents, you're already being told uh, they're not available until January, or you have to pay uh, several hundred dollars for them them because they're literally, you know, one or two left. Uh, Do you anticipate this being a a situation like this will drive people off of websites and into stores where the products actually exist in front of them?
4: You know, it's very
2: possible, however... I'm
4: finding that if you can't find it online, it's likely that you may not be able to find it in store either. There are some products that are in really high demand right now. Um, some new products that were launched this year, and the manufacturing at this point just can't keep up. Now, that doesn't mean that stores don't have stock of items. Uh, we may not, just may not have that very specific item you're looking for. So if you're looking for something overly specific, get out and get out early. Start making phone calls and looking online now, um, because it may not be here in a few weeks.
2: And very quickly, uh, just in, in terms of general categories, uh, what uh, types of toys is there a great deal of abundance, and what uh, is hard to find?
4: So right now, we're seeing a big abundance in uh, board games, um, and as well as you know a lot of your classic wooden products. Um, we're finding things that are falling behind. Your your Legos, um, stuffed animals are falling really behind, dress up clothing and uh science kits. And those are all uh, generally pretty big fourth quarter items for people. So um any licensed material, definitely go out and buy. And um anything specific, like I said, science projects plush and you know, dress up clothing. Uh get it now while it lasts.
2: Scott Friedland, head shopkeeper at Timeless Toys at 4749 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago's Lincoln Square neighborhood. Stocks, uh, well, they were trading higher, but now they're mixed. We're joined by Susan Schmidt, the head of U.S. equities for Aviva Investors based in Chicago. Susan, what just happened? Uh, We did have uh, the Dow up uh, 300 points at the start of trading today. Now up 113. The Nasdaq turned negative all of a sudden. What's going on?
5: There was a change in tone, but I think it's just a little bit of the euphoria uh, rubbing off. And that is because we've seen great jobs numbers this morning. The market was very happy about that. And don't forget, while the market has traded off, we've still seen intraday all time highs. And so the S&P year to date up almost 24%, NASDAQ up almost 25%. Very healthy overall. And I think this. Month shows good data. Investors are going to take confidence from this, knowing that the economy is back on the road to recovery.
2: The uh, news that the uh, Pfizer COVID therapy, bill, uh, therapy pill is largely effective and that they're going to the FDA for emergency use authorization. Uh, did the financial markets take that into account as well, that now we may have a very powerful tool in treating COVID-19 on top of the vaccines that already exist?
5: Absolutely. And remember that the markets have been watching those developments in the healthcare industry all along the way. We saw a tremendous jump in the market last November when we first had those vaccines discovered and announced. This will continue to reassure investors that there is an end in sight. You know, the waning of the Delta variant has been another reason that the market has been so strong lately. And again, a place where investors are looking to say, all right, I feel better about this. The economy is getting back on track. And again, good jobs number this morning further supported that feeling
2: what's always interesting to look at is that graph that has all of the job losses from the previous recessions uh, going back to uh, the early 1980s and how long it took for the economy to restore the jobs that were lost in the initial downturn and the the speed at which all the jobs disappeared in March of 2020 and the rate at which they are coming back is pretty shocking uh, especially compared Compared to the previous economic downturn which uh, uh, took all the way until 2015 to get the jobs back from 2008.
5: That's right. This is a really speedy recovery compared to that. But remember, this circumstance was so different than that. It had nothing to do with the market. It was an ex- exogenous event. And with that, you, you, we did see that abrupt decline but we are seeing that abrupt recovery in the jobs market remember that people are less worried about the delta variant and stimulus has come back so those support checks that were going out from the government are no longer there that's encouraging people to get back into the workforce and we know those jobs are there workers are now accepting them and moving back into that active employed workforce
2: As uh, people get back into the workforce and people want to spend all that money that they saved uh, during the pandemic, whether it's uh, via stimulus checks or just uh, not going anywhere, um, is that going to result in second-order investment in other sectors of the economy uh, to accommodate all of this new demand?
5: I think it will, and I think we've been seeing that. as people anticipate a recovery, we've seen the Cruise lines, the hotel stocks come off the bottom, and people recognize that now we've had a pull forward in goods. We could all buy goods while we were at home, and we got a lot of online shopping done, but now it's going to be about services. It's going to be about going back out to restaurants and going on vacation. All of those things are coming back into play, and the market is looking at those stocks and the companies involved in those industries and taking it very seriously, and those stocks have been on the rise.
2: In the transportation sector, how, um, you know, we we all know about the supply chain issues, uh, trying to keep up with uh, people who want to spend money. And we know about the ships that are still uh, docked outside of the ports. And there's just not enough people to uh, get these things uh, back on land. Uh, how is the supply chain going to look different? How are we going to firm that up uh, now that we've, you know, once we figure out what's going on here and build redundancies into that system?
5: Well, with those redundancies, that means that we're inventory building once again. And that's what we're doing right now. The problem is we had such a backup in demand with no movement. Those supply chains were completely depleted. We should see that return to normal, but we've got to wait a couple of months. It takes a long time to unload all those containers. We're filling up demand. We're filling up those inventories. Customers are getting back on track, getting the goods they want in a reasonable amount of time. And I think that Importantly, we've seen that that, with the days numbered on the jobs, we've seen that workers are going back. And so that extra surplus of goods coming in will be able to be handled by additional workers, getting it back onto the shelves more quickly.
2: Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Susan Schmidt, head of U.S. Equities, Aviva Investors, based in Chicago.
6: Selling a little or a lot.
1: Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: It's Entrepreneur Friday, and a new play set to open in Chicago later this month is described as a comedy that takes sobriety seriously. Let's learn more from the star Dan Butler of TV's Frasier and Roseanne and the star of uh, When Harry Met Rehab. It premieres November 24th at the Greenhouse Theater Center on North Lincoln Avenue. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Between your role on Frasier and your upcoming role as a longtime, sports radio personality harry Tynowitz. uh the radio industry seems to find you
1: <laughs> that's true that's true so i only do sports announcers that's that's it that's well,
2: it. well uh, now how did you get into this role i mean did you listen to harry Tynowitz during his many stops on the chicago radio dial uh how'd you get to know him how'd you get inside the character
1: well you know harry uh i think wrote this during COVID, so he created a very creative atmosphere during uh uh, our isolation, and uh, I did a reading of this over Zoom about eight months ago and was impressed with it and its topic and, uh, you know, talking about recovery, though, through a comic lens. Um, and they've done incredible work on it and continue to, and I'm, um, I just, you know, it was sort of a gift that came to me, and now I'm working with all these incredible Chicago actors, too, as well as Melissa Gilbert.
2: Now, when we talk about um, of recovery, there's another function, another way in which the word recovery comes in, and that is uh, the recovery of the stage. Uh, stages were dark for a year and a half. Uh, what's Absolutely. it like to be back on stage with other actors and coming up later this month in front of an audience?
1: Well, it's really incredibly moving, and uh, it just plugs you into gratitude uh, that I think Uh, You know, we're frustrated because you want things completely open, but step by baby step, you just, um, for me, it just uh, has a continual feeling of Thanksgiving that, you know, we're alive and let's celebrate this and, and never take anyone for granted again and support and be empathetic of everyone, no matter what they're going through.
2: This meditation on sobriety and addiction comes at a very interesting time because at the very beginning of COVID, there were a lot of featurey, kind of funny stories about how more people were drinking at home because they couldn't go out uh, either as a substitute for a social life or uh, to cope with the anxiety of being inside this pandemic. and. There's a good chance that a lot of people over the course of COVID developed some habits that uh, they may not have uh, had before uh, when it came to their own uh, uh, when it came to their own drinking. Um, Is there a chance that some people in the audience could see the show and then see themselves inside the Harry Tynowitz character?
1: Well, absolutely. I think that's one of the gifts of the show. But what I'm drawn to is I think everyone in the world needs recovery, not specifically to substance abuse or anything like that. It's how do we recover to be with one another again on this earth? I mean, we're sort of, we've been isolated. We've been behind our own screens. We've, uh, we've gotten angry, we've gotten separate. And how do we come back, uh, and care for the human beings that are around us? And sometimes that's very funny. And sometimes we fail, but to try.
2: And and lastly, you know, this is this was a story that played out publicly ten years ago. uh, That pivotal moment that led Harry Tynowitz to recovery when he was arrested, and and most people, you know, when we go through our own our own travails, they're private. In this case, it was everywhere, and uh, it's it's interesting. You know, what what was it like to kind of go through the process of uh, public humiliation, but also public forgiveness?
1: Well, you know, it just reminds me in my uh, in my own life. You know, when I look back at things that at the moment seem like the worst possible thing that could happen, turned out to be the best. And I think, uh, you know, what uh, sometimes the best can turn into the worst, and you you just you just don't know. You have to have the courage to put one step ahead of the other and say, oh, in a way. Uh, we're all in the same boat here. We uh, we have to. Uh sometimes step into dark times to uh, see the light again.
2: Dan Butler, he was the star of, or on, oh, you're the star. Today you're the star of TV's Frazier and Roseanne. (laughs) Move over, Kelsey Grammer. It was the Dan Butler show and the star of the new play When Harry Met Rehab. uh, Opens November 24th at the Greenhouse Theater Center on North Lincoln Avenue. Thanks for joining us today. Still to come, why aviation officials in Chicago have a close eye on what's happening in Denver. compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Several of the largest air carriers at O'Hare and Midway Airport are expanding their operations at Denver International Airport. Let's talk about what that mean for could mean for Chicago with Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Service and Director of the Chadwick Institute at DePaul University based in Chicago. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Does this mean that uh, Chicago's status as a uh, hub for uh, several major carriers is in danger
7: it means that denver's uh nipping at uh our, our bud, so to speak that we have a feisty uh airline uh, hub in, in in denver international that's kind of uniquely positioned to compete with chicago and it's a big hub for both southwest and united and that of course uh are two of our three biggest carriers here in chicago and uh we're seeing a lot of uh dynamic growth out of denver some of it may be coming out of chicago's expense But uh, it's clear Denver's got great momentum in the airline world right now.
2: And if you are an airline geek and you know the history pretty well, uh, the United expansion in Denver is kind of uh, goes all the way back to Continental Airlines, which had a major hub at Stapleton International Airport a long time ago.
7: Yeah, and that a long time ago. I was actually at United for a couple of years working in the Denver Hub pricing, and it was a big hub with three airlines Frontier, United, and Continental. And, uh, uh, you know, Frontier is back in a, in a reincarnated format with the Denver Hub as well. So they, again, have three hubs at Denver if you add Southwest and and, uh, United, the mix. And I think what we're seeing here is there's population trends in Denver. There's growing shift toward leisure travel, of course, uh, in the pandemic. And that's really played to Denver's uh, uh, strengths, and their population has grown about 19% in the metro area just in 10 years, where we're relatively flat. So we're seeing the airlines just, you know, incrementally pushing some things out toward the west. And also, of course, so here's been – uh, constrained on growth, you know, without terminals or runways, and that's uh, fortunately all getting fixed.
2: What are some of the uh, growth markets in the West and Southwest? Are we talking about uh, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Washington State, Portland, California? Where wh- What markets are the airlines trying to chase? You know California has been
7: relatively flat with population kind of leveled off and uh, but you look at Nevada Arizona and Denver and uh, uh, Colorado those are really uh, tremendous uh, growth areas uh, including with some high income relocation of people to those locations just you know not coincidentally southwest has uh some of its biggest hubs in las vegas phoenix and denver so they're really geared toward that and it was uh notable and maybe a bit of a blow to our ego that now denver is bigger for southwest than it is at midway which was always its largest hub and of course midway is really constrained on gates so there's uh I need to give Southwest a little more elbow room there.
2: Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Joe Schwederman, uh, professor of public services and director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University based in Chicago. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes
3: on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?